Today on the Dad the Best I Can show. Yeah, and it's not to say that the when when things do return to some kind of normalcy that there's not going to be a transition period that's uncomfortable and you know kids get used to a certain amount of screen time and a certain amount of you know engaging in ways that are not necessarily uh, quality content. So there will be that, but that's okay. Right now, you know, it's we're we're in survival mode, and that's what everybody has to focus on. And if you can't, you know, better that your child is on their screen for a little while, then you're exhausted and screaming at them. You know, that that's going to have a much longer impact on their well-being, how you act during this period, how you relate to them, and being kind and compassionate and calm will that that's the longer term welcome to the dad the best i can show my name is rob roseman who wants to be a millionaire legend chicago futures trader vegas poker pro now i'm a dad to three kids ages seven five and two phew where's me out just thinking about it each week we bring on high performing dads like you Entrepreneurs like Jesse Itzler, CEOs like David Cancel from Drift.com, athletes like Ken Rideout, best-selling children's authors like Zach Bush to tell us your stories, your dad tips and tricks to help all of us make it through dad life. We have a brand new website over at dadthebestican.com. Go on over to dadthebestican.com and sign up with your email. It's 100% free, of course. Be the first to hear brand new dad guests and get weekly dad tips in your inbox. Okay, enough out of me. On to today's show. All right, everybody, we have an excellent episode coming today with Nadia Streiter, and we're talking about screen time. Uh, quick disclaimer, though, we recorded this pre-COVID-19, pre-coronavirus, when we really were starting to get our act together with screen time, and I'm sure any parent can relate. Uh, this is now almost two months into this. Our screen time has kind of gone off the rails, and I felt a little bit hypocritical about releasing this episode talking about how great we were doing with screen time when my kids are upstairs playing video games at 10 a.m. So I have Nadia on, and we're going to do a quick few minutes about the changes that have occurred in the past month uh, for parents and for kids. Hey, Nadia. Good morning, Rob. How are you? How are Uh, you surviving this? Oh, we're hanging in there. I've learned I have to break my day into like blocks. So if I can get to 11 a.m. with my head still on, that's a win. And then, you know, we got three more blocks throughout the day. So literally one step at a time oh exactly lower your expectations i'm i'm still learning that but but yeah what do you think i'm sure things have changed so rapidly and there's you know even the schools are requiring screen time and there's so much free time parents are working what are your thoughts on how all this has changed and how parents can deal with this a little better because i know this is something i am struggling with a lot feel a lot of guilt and conflicted feelings about but I know everybody else has to be going through it as well. I think a lot of people are going through it. And what really fascinates me about this period in time is how everyone's experience is very unique. So you've got you know, parents uh, where you have two working parents and need to keep their kids occupied you know, throughout the day and school them. And then you have situations where there's one parent who's working and another one who can really take charge as best as possible with keeping the kids occupied, entertained, uh, you know, educating them and so on. Um, 
so it, it's it's really really unique and also when families where their kids are varying ages especially when the age gap is wide so i like to think of this as an opportunity i'm ever the optimist i like to think of this as an opportunity you know a while back we were blaming screens for um disconnecting us and now it's sort of ironic that the thing that we blame for disconnecting us is the very thing that's keeping us connected. So in, in those terms, if we think about the positives that we are gaining from technology right now, and there, quite, there are quite a few positives, and we focus on how we're using it in positive ways and, that, and extract all that and going forward, you know, post staying at home when we return to some kind of normalcy, to use our screen time in that way and to minimize the negative ways that we've used it. So if you reframe you know, gaming as a way for uh, parents to continue to work so they can pay the bills because that's the top priority, you know, you're looking at Maslow's hierarchy of needs, then you can give yourself a little bit of a break. And, it, and it's okay to give yourself a little bit of an emotional break. Um, we're all doing the best that we can kids' brains are very pliable. Whatever experiences that they're having now for a couple of months does not predict uh, the long-term outcome of their well-being, especially as impacted by screens. So I, I hope parents can take some solace in that, that it's okay. I think the more that you can explain to your kids what you're doing on your screen and how what you're doing on your screen at times is for entertainment and at times it is for professional purposes, but the more you can help them understand and distinguish the nuances, that will help them to make decisions going forward as well. Yeah, that's helpful. And I, I, I do think you touched on something there as to like the fear. I mean, we've got a two and a half year old that is crying for the iPad. And when you've got a You've got a six-year-old and an eight-year-old that have also got to occupy. We've kind of given in and given it to her because it does make things easier. Now, I'm glad you said that that doesn't mean she's going to be hooked for life because I think a lot of parents have gone through this two- and three-year-old stage where they'll freak out if they don't get it, and we usually give in. So these changes are not necessarily permanent. We can pull it back. And, I mean, what we struggle with, too, is we're kind of beating ourselves up and having this emotional exhaustion with how do we get – these other kids handled? How do we do work? How do we take care of her? And sometimes it is just hand them a device. So I guess I'm looking for some kind of uh, permission or approval that to some extent that is okay. Would you say that? Can you give me that? I can give you that. Absolutely. <laughs> I can absolutely give you that. I mean, you know, and it's not to say that the when when things do return to some kind of normalcy, that there's not going to be a transition period that's uncomfortable. And, you know, kids get used to a certain amount of screen time and a certain amount of, you know, engaging in ways that are not necessarily uh, quality content. So there will be that, but that's okay. Right now, you know, it's, we're, we're in survival mode and that's what everybody has to focus on. And if you can't, you know, better that your child is on their screen for a little while, then you're exhausted and screaming at them you know, that that's going to have a much longer impact on their well-being, how you act during this period, how you relate to them, and being kind and compassionate and calm will, that that's the longer term. So okay. I wouldn't, I wouldn't sweat it. Uh, I'm not an advocate as a, of a screen as a babysitter under normal circumstances. 
I do think that it's incumbent upon us to try to focus on quality and you know try to provide as many quality screen experiences as a you know and not just say okay free for all and you know do whatever you want so let's put quantity aside but let's try to focus on quality yeah that is something that i am beating myself over too because somehow she was introduced to youtube kids which mm -hmm. is just a slot machine of little kid videos and i'm not worried that they're not kid friendly but Compared to a TV, they have to sit and watch a show. These things do seem like they're designed to just, you know, keep you scrolling, keep you on to the next thing. I'm like, can you watch a show for 15 minutes? And I, her brain doesn't understand that. She just knows she's getting this kind of, I guess, hit of dopamine where it's new, new, new. And that's the part I, I struggle with that I don't want her to just be, you know, I could only watch YouTube two minute clips, where I'm, whereas I'm okay with watching a PBS Kids show for 22 minutes. Right. Exactly. I, I understand. And that's, you know, again, if you're if you're trying to, you know, work and you've got limited space in your home and you need some quiet, you may not be able to have the BBC BBC show on in the background. I mean, Sesame Street was great. You know, hours of Sesame Street um, what was wasn't so bad. And the child, the difference between YouTube kids and YouTube in general is the is the lack of natural stopping points. Mm -hmm. But, you know, again, in, in addiction medicine, the conversation is about deal with the shark that's closest to the boat. So the shark that's closest to the boat right now is parental sanity um, and maintaining income and, you know, overall well-being. Further that's sharks right away yes. are, are, you know, littler, maybe, maybe not great white sharks are circling further away. But, you know, you'll be able to harpoon them when it's time. Now, I know you've got some older kids, teenagers. Any tips for how are you navigating that with the social media, with the news consumption, with them wanting to see their friends? What do you, what do you think about screen time and your older kids? Well, for older kids, anything that promotes connectivity, I'm in favor of. You know, isolation uh, is really, you know, the most negative thing for teens right now, you know, because it does lead to... Um, sense of hopelessness, you know, depression, elevated anxiety. And again, it's so ironic that we were, we, we've talked about screens in such a negative way that they were the cause of that. And now that's what can be the one thing that prevents that. So, so anything that offers an opportunity for engagement and interaction, and it, it can be screens, you know, they're volunteer organizations uh, Be My Eyes, I think that's uh, one of them where you can FaceTime with someone who's blind and, for example, help them sort out their mail. So there's no direct contact, but you are interacting with someone. They're interacting with you. So there is, you know, there's a reduction in a sense of isolation on both sides and you can be using screens for good. So I encourage, you know, that kind of use. Um, that, that's really what I'd say to focus on and learning a new skill. And teenagers can also teach their parents how to use all the features on their computers that they really don't know how to use because kids are, you tend to be more tech savvy. So there's lots and lots of opportunity here if we seek it out. Yeah. And I think what I'm learning the hard way too is once the day starts and everybody's doing their thing, it's very hard to plan this. So you do have to take 15 minutes the night before to kind of either block out these times or pick these 
learning videos that you want to watch because the wheels do come off quickly by uh, 9 a.m. in our house. So right. easier said than done, but something that we can always get better at because this is, like you said, kind of going to be a new normal for a little while. Right. The night, the planning at night is, is really very helpful. You know, just laying out what everybody's plans are for the day, uh, what the expectation is. So, you know, if you, if you're expected to exercise, like what's that going to look like? Are you doing a yoga video? Let's identify what that's going to be now, you know, or which ones are acceptable and plan out ahead of time. That will reduce some of the sort of mindless uh, scrolling because you can get distracted and start to mindlessly scroll. But you know, sometimes a little mindless scrolling is also really comforting. So breaking these things into chunks and saying, it's okay to have, you know, it's okay to have some M&Ms, like no problem. Don't eat the entire bag of M&Ms, you know, in one sitting, we bought the M&Ms to have for an entire week. So, you know, sort of portion it out, get your broccoli in there also and so on. Okay. Oh, excellent. I'm glad, I'm glad we talked. I mean, the episode really is excellent, but I did feel like we were uh, maybe pushing everybody to eat their vegetables every meal. And right now, like you said, this is a survival mode. I like how you said that. And, you know, keeping our sanity in a lot of ways is the biggest shark in the ocean right now. Right. So any other uh, thoughts before we get on to today's show? Uh, be flexible. Be flexible and be forgiving to yourself and those around you. I mean, again, that's the kind of thing that those, those, those skills will be what your kids take from this experience and they will use that in their adult life. And, you know, those kinds of skills in adult life are really very valuable. So we're all, parents don't realize how much more they are doing for their kids just by being there at home and having their kids watch, you know, what their day-to-day -day life is like and how they interact in their work environment. So Try to try to think about that. Try to think about how positive that opportunity can be as well. That's perfect. A perfect way to send us off into today's show. Thank you so much, Nadia, for being on the Dad the Best I Can show. I appreciate you. I appreciate you too. Have a great day. Stay safe. Be well. All right. Welcome to the Dad the Best I Can show. Today we are lucky to have Nadia Strider on the podcast. Nadja is a former banker turned psychotherapist. She's a parent coach with an expertise in technology addiction. She is the program director at GameQuitters.com. And for just the second time on this podcast, she is a mom. Hey, Nadja, how's it going today? Hi there. How are you? Thank you so much for inviting me. My pleasure. Where are you calling in from? I'm in Westport, Connecticut, about an hour outside of New York City. Got it. So, Nadja, I came across your name when I went down a Google rabbit hole about kids and tech, and I'm excited to have you on the podcast to talk about the elephant in every parent's living room, what to do about screen time. What to do, right. And that's my favorite topic and has been my area of something I felt passionately about for quite a long time. So I'm really excited to be talk about it and I hope we can cover everything uh, in one shot. You may, may have to have me back again. <laughs> yes, I'm sure the phones will be extinct probably in five years. So we'll be looking at the next, the next tech that we got to figure out. Right. So you are a mom. How old are your kids? Uh, my kids are 25, 23, and 21. 
which is very different from previous years of 25, 23, and 21. They're really young, very young adults these days. Yes. And I'm sure the tech has changed even in the, the last 10 years. You've seen kind of the invention of the iPhone to how our kids are using it now. So you've got a, a, a nice view of how quickly things have changed. Well, I think I sit in a very interesting position because I had a, uh, let's say, middle schooler when texting, you know, was really something that people began to do. Mm-hmm. But he he didn't have a phone yet because then kids didn't have phones. And then it was a flip phone and there was limited data. So you could only send, you know, a couple of texts a month. But because of that sort of peculiar situation where I was the one using the technology before my children and then then concurrently using it, I had some very, very interesting experiences. And that, you know, again, that helped shape my ongoing interest in the topic. Yeah, I imagine that was a big impetus for why you did get so interested in it when your kids are going through it and you see all their friends going through it. You're, you realize yeah. that somebody's got to be looking into this and figuring out a, a healthy way to deal with all this tech. Right. I saw no need for a BlackBerry because at the time I was, you know, not in finance any longer and not um, working outside of the home. But I did get one sort of reluctantly because I knew that having email capability on the fly would make my life actually more difficult and and make me uh, accountable more frequently than I wanted to be. What was fascinating to me is two years later, when my daughter was a freshman in high school, she needed a new phone and I insisted that she get a BlackBerry because she needed to see her emails uh, because her coach communicated practice information via email and only to the team members, not to the parents. So, you know, there were all these, um, you know, unforeseen implications that resulted in the, the shift in the way we've communicated. Yeah, it's really, it's changed in a hurry. And uh, so, yeah, let's dig into it because I think we all hear about, you know, the dangers of tech. And then we also hear that it's not tech, it's how you use it. So I think a lot of parents uh, like me, kind of our heads are spinning. Uh, how much is too much? When does it become a problem? And know what the hell are busy parents really supposed to do about it when these devices are in our house and i think something i struggle with is kind of the hypocrisy of it i'm using my phone all the time more than i'd like to and i'm trying to work on that but i do feel like uh you know do as i say not as i do sometimes absolutely and i hear that really frequently and that is definitely a challenge so i want to say one thing though, since your audience is, is a dad audience, a father-based audience, I'm gonna say something that's probably not gonna be very popular if you've got moms listening in, <laughs> but I think it's really important to recognize uh, that the role of dads, you know, you're still expected to be providers and protectors. It's a non-negotiable really as a male and it, it doesn't matter if you have a partner who's generating income, you still have that role. That's the social norm. Mm-hmm. But the traditional male role has also 
you know, that, that no longer is your only role. Now you come home and you're also expected to play. Like there's no coming home and having someone hand you slippers and a martini. <laughs> it's okay, jump in, start coaching, start playing, start engaging. And so, so parents really are having this, and dads in particular, having this terrible struggle between, hey, I need to be a provider in this ultra competitive world. And if I'm not responding to an email or I'm not posting something that enhances my business and drives customers, I'm falling behind. But then I also can't spend that, that, was that time or be fully engaged with my children. So I do want to validate the difficulties that I see that dads in particular are facing because of the expectations placed on them. I appreciate that. And it's something that I don't even think we can articulate. And, you know, there is so much benefit to our kids, especially when they're young, establishing, establishing that foundation and that relationship, but there has to be a cost to it. And I think, I do think sometimes it is our, our sanity or maybe our relationships with our partners. It's like there is only so much time and bandwidth in the day and with so much info coming at us, it can be confusing and stressful as to where we cut back and what our, what our roles are. Right, right. And, and the culture has sort of become, you know, we're in a workism. Like there's less, I, you know, I read that we've become less faith-based and much more work-based, uh, a work-based culture. So workism is sort of the, the God we pray to mm -hmm. because fame and wealth have really become, become uh, greatly important in this country as a measure of success, as opposed to other things that might have measured your success. Mm -hmm. So that, that drives technology use in the home for parents um, you know, in an almost unavoidable way. And I know that one of the things that, you know, is a great concern is the, you know, the guilt involved in how do I juggle this and how am I role modeling? Like, what do I do about this? Is that a complaint that, you know, and a concern that you see yourself facing? Oh, absolutely. I mean, like, I, I think I'm really getting much better at diagnosing the problem. I can see it, but I don't always know, and my wife too, we don't always know what to do about it when we are stressed and then we're giving them a device and then we're taking it away to their dismay and fighting. And I'm like, is this a problem? Should we be giving it at all? So I think there is a lot of just confusion and guilt, like you said. And, you know, I want to get better at how to reconcile it in a way that's, you know, good for the kids and good for me. So we can have some time to ourselves. You know, that's a thing too. I speak to some friends that, they very occasionally they're almost practiced like tech abstinence. We don't even have a TV in our house. And, you know, that's admirable, but that's not how we and most people live. So I think figuring out how to create that kind of healthy balance and then feel good about it. That's what I'm striving for. Right. And, and, and one does have to realize, you know, when in Rome or I, you know, I hear people say a lot, well, I grew up without a cell phone and I was fine. And when, you know, someone's sitting in my office and that's what they say to me, I say, okay, so I want you to go home and turn off your air conditioner for the next two weeks. <laughs> and then I want you to come back and tell me uh, how that went for you. <laughs> because, you know, everybody, like people lived without air conditioning, but now you're accustomed to air conditioning and, and we lead a lifestyle 
where, you know, air conditioning is part of our day-to-day functioning. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, like, let's, let's work with what we have, what we have to work with. I think that if you're somebody who can abstain, but it's not standing on a soapbox in a judgmental way, and that's what works for you, terrific. That's part of the whole, um, you know, overview that I try to provide for people is that there is no absolute right or wrong. It's what's going to work for you and to approach things in a calm and curious and compassionate way in understanding that is going to be different for everyone because people have different kinds of demands. People live in different kinds of neighborhoods. You know, there, there are lots of recipes, you know, lots of ingredients in this stew to be doled out. Mm-hmm. So let's kind of get into the nitty gritty. My kids for the holidays, seven and a half, five and a half and two and a half year old. We can talk about her in a minute because she, I think one of the first sentences that she learned to say was, uh, watch a show phone. And I would looked at my wife. I said, this is maybe this is a problem if that's like her third sentence. But <laughs> the older boys, they got a Nintendo Switch for the holidays and they're very excited and I have to pry it away from their hands. But I know you specialize in, you know, game addiction and we hear a lot about a lot about that. But what is how can we figure out what is acceptable use? What is when do we cross that line and, and what can we do about it? Okay, well, you know, complicated question um, because gaming has, you know, really changed so much. Um, not gaming the when when you and I, I assume, are similar age. You're probably a little bit younger, but gaming really has changed so much, and it's become a very social activity. It's become something that you know kids talk about at school. Um, it it is built it is definitely engineered to be very addictive mm-hmm. it satisfies a lot of psycho psychological needs um so you know and it's the new play and and parents are sort of secretly um happy that they don't have to drive <laughs> some, somebody somewhere because they're legitimately tired mm-hmm. uh, that they know their child is home safe but you know they're struggling with okay, as you said, what to do about this, how much is too much. And then, you know, what I really feel sensitive to is when you've got kids of varying ages in your home and you have to have a different set of rules for each child. So what's appropriate use for your two and a half year old and what you can allow them to do as compared to your oldest child are vastly different. Mm Yeah, that's a great point. They all are different personalities, but just the ages and maybe what they're capable of handling. I'm sure anybody can relate to the fact of that feeling and that emotion that comes out when I say, okay, it's done and I have to turn it off and the meltdown that ensues. Hopefully that that starts to go away as they get older. But when you see that, my first reaction is this this must be a problem. Maybe it is the tech. Maybe they're they are getting addicted or it's supplying so much dopamine. But I, I think something else I struggle with is I played these games when I was kids, or I played games. I played Super Mario Brothers and these Nintendo games. Like you mentioned earlier, I'm a little concerned or skeptical that they are engineered to be a little bit more addictive and a little bit more overstimulating. Are we dealing with something else, or is this kind of just what we played as kids and we're 
And once you become parents, you just look at things differently. The games have really changed. Um, if you think about something even as simple as like a Candy Crush or, or Farm, Farmville is a really good example. If you're not continuously logging on, then all your progress is lost. Mm -hmm. Your crops just die. You know, if you're not harvesting, mm -hmm. then your crops are dying. So you have, you have to be going on. Um, majority of games now have no finish. They continue on, you know, within like a really infinite number of missions and tasks to pursue and pausing often is not an option or saving your progress is not an option. Um, games that are multiplayer, you know, your, your whole team is counting on you to continue to play until, you know, that particular, like in Battle Royale in Fortnite, you can't just walk away in the middle. You got to finish the mission. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that really does, that brings a very different experience to the, to the user. Um, and then they're just, the technology, just in terms of immersiveness and how realistic everything, you know, is and, and the, greater intensity of using this persuasive technology and using, you know, variable reinforcement schedule to deliver rewards. And that delivery of rewards is what does light up the, you know, the circuitry in our brain, bringing us the dopamine uh, or the anticipation of a reward is, is also really equally um, dopaminergically enervating. That's the clinical term that you would use. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that didn't really exist the same way with games like Pac-Man. Mm -hmm. um, and then now they've gotten even more clever because they're seasons. <laughs> so, you know, there's always a reason to go back and to keep at it and to keep, keep being involved. And if you keep playing, then you also learn, uh, earn opportunities for, um, rewards like cosmetic rewards in the form of skins. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm not sure how familiar you, you are with that, mm -hmm. uh, but you know, skins are sort of, you know, they're accessories for your character and some have greater value than others. Um, there's loot boxes, which, uh, you know, loot boxes are really just gambling, uh, disguised, but unregulated because they're virtual goods instead of actual dollars. But you're, you're investing for the opportunity for the, in other words, the chance of getting something good. Mm -hmm. So like a slot machine, you keep investing a quarter um, for the chance to get a reward, but your reward may be nothing, you know, maybe 50 cents. It may be just not losing your money mm -hmm. or you can get the jackpot. Yeah, I'm fascinated by that, how our brain works with the, A, the dopamine being the chase of the reward being more uh, gratifying than the reward itself. And also that variable reward thing. I used to live in Vegas, so I was around a lot of gambling and it's incredible how that, you know, if you got it every time, it wouldn't be that exciting. But when they're coming at random intervals, how just that just lights up your brain. But, right. So we're it, it's so the most difficult form of re you know it's the most it's the best form of reinforcement and the most difficult to extinguish behavior which has been um, solidified and you know via a variable reinforcement schedule. Mm -hmm. Okay. So now we've talked about like the dangers of it and why it's a problem. And this is what I struggle with. I'm really good at 
you know, diagnosing it, articulating, but it does this, this, this. Now, how can I bring that into my kid's life with, you know, they don't understand these things really. And telling them you have to stop just because how can we apply what we're learning about these games without saying you can't play these, these are bad for you. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's sort of the, the million dollar question. So I think it's, it's really important for parents to uh, model appropriate use and to show your children that you know how to exercise boundaries and whether the boundary is work time or social time or family time, that they just get the principle that, that you can't seek um, you know, pleasure you know, without, without any boundaries mm -hmm. and that it's okay to do something, but by modeling that it's okay to do this, it's okay to enjoy this, but, it, but I also understand that I need to turn it off because I need to get back to work or I need to get outside and exercise. And you know, when your kids see you actually capable of doing that, it gives them a framework to model from. Mm -hmm. So that's another, that's another point that I think a lot of people struggle with. And you mentioned it earlier. It is hard to really turn off. There is always either somebody emailing you, your boss calling you, or if you're creating your own business, your brand, your social media. So there is a lot more opportunity for you to be on your phone and feeling like you need to be maybe than back in the day when it was, you know, nine to five, you clock out, you come home, play with your kids. Do you have right. any tips or do you tell parents that come to see you how they can better model this behavior? Because we all know this concept of modeling, but we're not really good at actually doing it. So again, some of it does have to do with the age of your, your child. So, you know, families with kids who were, are over 10, let's just say, mm -hmm. they saw, they lived at a time and saw their parents uh, being less dependent on tech because it wasn't as woven into day-to-day -day life the same way it is now. Like anything you want to accomplish, you need, it's go to www, mm -hmm. you know, the, the, push away from human communication. And I'm really adamant about not looking, finding answers online, but um, do, having the human interaction. And that's a very important way to role model for your children communication skills. And even though it's not face-to-face -face interaction, but it is you know, phone interaction. So they hear you having a conversation and asking questions. They learn what questions to ask in an interaction. They observe how you respond to the answers you're getting, especially if they're answers that you don't like. Uh, you know, that, that right in, in and of itself, I think is a, an extraordinarily important way to role model for your children. Um, when you've got kids that are a little bit older, I think it's very important to, to communicate to them what it is you're doing on this device. Mm -hmm. Why are you answering the email now? Why do you have to work now? Why did you, you know, what are, what are you doing when you're supposed to be engaging in family time that made you step away or that makes you seem distracted? And if you can really answer that question, so if the answer is, well, I need to post on Instagram, like picture, mm -hmm. the picture we took this afternoon, as you're saying that out loud, you might realize mm, that could probably wait until later. Mm -hmm. But you know, if you explain that, 
I have a responsibility to somebody. Somebody's counting on me to provide them for an answer, with an answer, then you're teaching them to understand accountability. Mm-hmm. So I think just by explaining to your children what you're doing when you're on your device, and sometimes you can say, I'm entertaining myself because I need a break mm-hmm. and that's okay. But I also know when to stop. Mm-hmm. Now for your two and a half year old, you know, for really young kids, that's, that's pretty abstract and, you know, difficult. Those are difficult concepts for them. And I feel uh, incredibly concerned and empathetic for parents with children that are so, so young that they can't have those conversations. And, you know, the tech verse and the the amplification of our day-to-day life has uh, increased, you know, thousandfold. Mm So, I'm sort of grappling with what do you do when you have a young child in the room and you can't be in conversation with them all the time. And if you're a stay-at-home parent that's working from home, they are going to see you in front of a screen a lot. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's it every bit of modeling that you can do when that does enforce not doing that, or they get to see you exercising they get to see you going outside they get to just get an innate sense of the value that these other things do exist i think is really important Mm -hmm. yeah i like that tip that you gave of even speaking it and articulating it because yeah it's a lot a lot of this stuff we do just almost mindlessly i'll be on instagram and it's just i don't even know how i got there and then it's 20 minutes later and yeah, maybe saying out loud, okay, I've got to go on here and check this. Either it's going to sound ridiculous or maybe I've been starting to put timers on my phone where it's like, okay, yeah. you can look at this for seven minutes. And then when that's done, you're going to have to turn it off because if not, they're like, you, like we've talked about, they are engineered to keep us on there. Right. So, you know, I think timers are, for some people, timers are good for some people deciding that set times of day are going to be my time for, you know, entertainment based mm-hmm. screen use, whether it's going on Instagram, you know, and, and again, it's, what are you going on Instagram for? Mm-hmm. Like, are you going on Instagram for information or education on a topic? Are you on Twitter because you're following what's going on with, you know, gun, gun reform or climate change concerns and, you know, having, again, those conversations with your kids, like, this is what I'm doing on Instagram today. Mm-hmm. Hey, we can talk about it. Let me show you this great post. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, like, I have a very curated Instagram feed, and I love what I see. I still have to be mindful of how long I stay on it because there is this sort of productivity illusion that goes on. So if it's quality content, then you can you know, kid yourself sometimes into thinking that you're doing something. But on the other hand, I do find that a lot of what I follow stimulates uh, further thought for me in terms of treatment and in terms of how to conceptualize, you know, these problems in terms of guiding parents with, um, you know, like what consequences can you give a child now? Now that's really, really difficult. Got a teenager, like, taking away their phone is really not an option. I I don't really think that's a realistic or sustainable option. 
and it sets you up then to not be consistent, which is the most important thing in effective consequences is consistency. So now, you know, you've created this variable reinforcement schedule for them, but you know, the challenge is like, what, what consequences can we uh, give our kids when they need to have consequences for breaking rules or, you know, not adhering to expectations? Huge, huge problem. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, I think a lot about just my own tech use and what you were saying before, what are you really doing on there? And that's where I get, you know, confused sometimes is I can justify what I'm doing on there. I've cleaned up my feed where it is pretty much I'm learning something. I'm, you know, either promoting my, and that's the other thing you hear a lot about. Well, this is for my business. But as you know, today, a lot of businesses and personal are kind of intertwined. Everybody's posting pictures to create their brand. We, I don't even know what I think about the whole posting pictures of your kids, but it is a slippery slope and it's very kind of, it's a hazy line between what is, you know, junk and entertainment and what you're justifying as work and, you know, information because there are benefits from it. Absolutely. But that's, I think, where I get kind of lost as to how long should I really be on here? What am I really doing? And how can I well, be a real model for my kids if I'm guilty of these things? Well, think about, you know, this is what they're going to be doing uh, in one shape, you know, form or another. This is what, what they're going to be doing. So maybe let's forgive ourselves a little bit. Um, let's also not kid ourselves about the need for self-discipline. You know, people want an external answer often. And sometimes the answer is, you know, self-discipline. Um, and even from the perspective of what I call nutritive, and I'm not the only one who uses that phrase, but, you know, even overuse of nutritive content at some point does, you know, dominate your life in an unhealthy way. So if you consider, you know, it's really like an idea of balance. Am I still exercising? Am I still uh, having face-to-face -face interactions? Uh, am I am I still have I lost interest or or have I gained other interests? Like have I replaced one set of interests, valuable interests, with another? And that's going to be really different for for everyone. Um, but you know, it's there's a lot of critical thinking that is going to. Uh, is necessitate, necessitated and going to continue to be necessitated for us to navigate this, you know, social social experiment that we don't have any control group or no, um, you know, no ethics board watching to see mm -hmm. what's happening with us. Yeah, and I know at least for us, a lot of this happens towards the end of the day when we're kind of worn out or fried from work or family. So a lot of this is maybe when we are depleted of our self-discipline willpower and it's okay, fine, go play games. And that's, uh, you know, that's where sometimes we get into trouble. I think now it's five o'clock to seven o'clock because you're done and you want some time to yourself. Right. And, and how can you blame, you know, again, that's why I started off talking about the demands of being a dad, because you do have to be, you are expected to be a provider. Um, many dads are commuting, you know, you got to go out and slay the dragons. There are a lot of dragons out there and then you need, and then you're, you're tired <laughs> and you need to recharge. 
And the easiest, most efficient, and in some ways justifiable way to recharge because you're physically present. So, you know, you can, you can trick yourself a little bit and, and not, and I don't mean this in a blaming way, um, but we, we tell ourselves, well, I'm physically present. So that's better than not being present, but gosh, I really do need to regroup and recharge and just zone out. So yeah, at the end of the day, when your kids are being demanding, um, using a screen or even using a device like Alexa to read them a story or to answer their questions mm -hmm. is, is the path of least resistance. Mm -hmm. And we live, in, we live in really challenging times. I mean, I think this is an extraordinarily challenging era. Yeah, it's very different. And we, we had Nir Eyal on the podcast. He writes a lot about tech and his latest book, Indistractable, kind of takes the other side of things where he he thinks that, you know, tech isn't the villain and that there is a little bit of kind of sensationalism about how dangerous this tech is. And it does come down more to how we use it and why we're using it and setting up these boundaries, which I do agree with conceptually and a lot of what he says, but sometimes I'm like, but still it's, it's so addicting and it's so hard. So I do, I, I, I push back a little on what he says and maybe that's just me being lazy and not wanting to do the work. But I imagine there's a lot of parents out there that know these things, but just have a tough time applying it and are also maybe competing with, like you said, candy crush games that are a lot more potent than they used to be. Right. Well, I, I don't think those points of view necessarily have to be mutually exclusive. I do think how you use it is uh, really an important factor at, to consider in this conversation. So, you know, if you're, if you're on YouTube and you're learning, um, you know, how to build your own drone or you're learning how to play guitar, that's very different from being on YouTube or being on TikTok watching memes. I mean, it really, so the how you use it actually does matter. Mm -hmm. uh, but on the flip side, we as a society have lost control over the necessity to use it so that's where i do see you know a, a very insidious problem existing mm -hmm. so you deal with a lot of i'm sure kids that are coming to you if they're coming to you it's probably a real problem how do you know when you really cross that line and what can parents do when their kid is not sleeping at night because they're playing Fortnite or whatever. We're not there yet, but it is something I want to prevent. But I imagine there are a lot of parents that have gotten there and kind of throw their hands up. Right. Well, one of the things that I, I do is I try to understand, you know, first I look and I say, okay, what would this child be like uh, if, if gaming really didn't exist in the current form, you know, current way that it exists? Would they be, um, relatively functional, highly functional in any case. And if they would be, then, you know, it, it's, then you're dealing with just behavior modification and helping parents to understand, you know, why are they not able to um, create realistic and sustainable consequences and then continue to enforce them. So a lot of times when you've got a, when you've got a child who's you know, well-being would ordinarily be intact, but they've just succumbed to the seduction of this addictive substance. The work is with the parents. 
Um, now you've got the other pot of kids that have, you know, do have underlying issues that exist. They may have a history of trauma. They may have uh, an ADHD diagnosis. Um, they're, you know, conflict in the home. Like there, there's a whole long list of risk factors and underlying issues. And for, for those families, it's really important to simultaneously and sometimes even first treat the underlying issue because all too often it's easy to move from one addiction to another. Mm -hmm. And I think of these kids as they were primed in all likelihood, if they were just a little bit older, they're the ones that are going to be um, substance abusers, you know, or uh, compulsive gamblers. Like there, there's, there's an addiction in their future because, it, because they use whatever it is as a coping mechanism. Um, so that's happening anyway. Now what's changed is that it's accessible at a much earlier age and it's accessible all the time. And you don't have to go to the corner. Um, you know, you could do it in the safety of your home, 24 hours availability. Mm -hmm. So that's a, that's a real starting point for me um, when I think about that. Now, in both cases, I, I have to ask, like, what is this doing for you? Um, by understanding, you know, what, what needs it's meeting, like what's the type of game that they're playing? What needs is it fulfilling? Do they like strategy? Do they need an outlet to be competitive? Because, you know, especially for boys, um, you know, the, they're sort of set up from an academic standpoint very early to fail. I, and there's a huge, we're seeing a huge wave of low motivation and, you know, slow to launch in boys. And, and some of it is because they don't have an outlet for um, competition or just, you know, aggression. Like we all need to, to punch something sometimes, but of course we're not going to punch a person and, you know, any, everything in school now is not okay. Mm -hmm. So understanding or are they lonely um you know are they not challenged understanding what needs they the games are meeting for them allows you as a parent to try to see how can i fill those gaps in other ways you know maybe a martial arts class is what's needed or maybe the chess you know a chess club um at the library would satisfy some of that need for strategy you know so that's also got to be as a big part of my um, treatment. Mm -hmm. yeah. Understanding how much of it is their only coping mechanism, how much of it is because they don't fit, they're just misfits mm -hmm. in their geographical. And this happens a lot. Like you may not be a misfit in the larger world in the way that we think of, but in the community that you live in, you may not fit the standard, like, you know, I live in Fairfield County. I don't know what you know about Fairfield County, but uh, you know, it's very finance driven. It's it's affluent, and there's sort of a you know a narrow model <laughs> of how how to fit in. So, being able to engage with people in different geographical areas who have similar interests and maybe aren't the top athlete at the school, like now that's fulfilling the social needs. So, how can you help your child? get their social needs fulfilled 
or how can you help them to understand that yes for the time that you live in this town and you're you know through high school this is this is the geography you're bound by but guess what that's not the rest of your life and have faith and still try to maintain you know skills that allow you to interact and make real time friends in the real world later on when they are available mhm and i like what you said earlier about um boys especially maybe not having that outlet i know one thing we're already starting to see is the sports and the competition and how serious they get at such a young age that it does kind of push kids out that maybe you know would have been playing at the basketball league when they're 12 years old now by eight years old they're already deemed not good enough or don't want to compete at that level and that seems like it's a new new trend that maybe that's a easier for them to fall into okay i, I like video games so i'm not going to play sports because they're they're too hard but i will do this it's a huge problem i i can't even say how big an issue i think this is because you know as you said kids get specialized early um there're only x number of seats on the bus like to be you know when you get to high school and you need you need to make the team their x number of spots on the bus to drive to the other school's field mm -hmm. so i understand that where the short you know where the gap is that what happens if you're somebody who doesn't make the team does that mean now sports are not available like i get so frustrated when i listen to other professionals talk about this and they say so if your child used to like to play baseball like try to get them to you know engage in their previous interests and you know i i smack my head and i say okay so if my 21 year old 3 or 4 years ago like really enjoyed baseball um oh, how how's he going out and playing baseball <laughs> like who is he playing baseball with so you know that that is the fault of our communities that they don't provide you know more recreational and athletic and you know other opportunities for kids who are not super talented who, who just really enjoy something they could be good but just but maybe not good enough to get a seat on the bus mm -hmm. and that then this becomes the default for them yeah it's uh... so, so I, and, and I can't blame the communities in that they couldn't have anticipated this was how things would play out. But I, I really urge parents of younger children to start to be active in their communities and pressure you know, their town leaders to fund uh, their parks and rec departments and to fund programming so that kids don't, you know, they still have opportunities to play yeah, it's not like uh, the movie The Sandlot, where you just get ten kids together and go play baseball. It doesn't it's not as easy today. And also, their incentives of these specialized teams and traveling teams, like they're businesses, so they're gonna they're built that way for a reason. Right, right. And and honestly, nobody really wants their child. I mean, they're nobody's saying go out and play. Um, you know, so you know we sort of have that backwards. Um. If you go outside and play, there aren't that many other kids to go out and play with because everybody's very scheduled. Like there's this concept of relentless parenting, which is also exhausting for parents, where everybody is, you know, getting coaching, taking lessons, uh, learning a new language, uh, 
We think that's what our kids have to do. So everyone's busy. Your schedule may not like match up with my schedule. So, you know, even if you live in the kind of neighborhood where, hey, there is that sandlot there. I don't know if Johnny's like got his violin lessons and then, you know, mm-hmm. then he's got French after that. Mm-hmm. So playing, you know, nine o'clock at night, eight o'clock at night, being able to jump onto a video game to be able to get into discord and interact with your buddies and play. Like, how do you compete with that? Mm-hmm. We had a, a question from Instagram. Would you be, able, would you help out one parent that had a question? I would be happy to. I'm not, if you can tell me the question, I'd be happy to uh, tackle it. Absolutely. So this is from Allison Hare on Instagram. And she asked, are there any studies showing long-term effects from too much screen time? <laughs> uh, huge debate. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I'm not even sure how to answer that question. There are going to be researchers that will say yes, and there are going to be those that say no. Mm-hmm. So, so if you think about, and then it's, it's not just, is there a study? It's also what was the sample size uh, of the study? Um, you know, was it, was it qualitative or quantitative? How do you measure well-being other than self-report? So it's not just, was there a study, mm-hmm. but, you know, a valid study. Mm-hmm. And, I'm, and I, as a social scientist and social science background, can't really answer that. But we, the, just by virtue of the amount of historical data, we're limited. Mm-hmm. And then because trends have changed, so we started measuring screen time 10 years ago, what screen time looked like 10 years ago and what screen time looks like today are vastly different. Mm-hmm. So are the are whatever whatever you've tracked over the last ten years? Um, if you were basing it, you know, if your baseline was the screen time that existed then, you know, yes, you could probably make make a legitimate or you know reasonable um, statement and validate a hypothesis. You know, come to a conclusion. If that's all you're measuring, but to the extent that let's just say you know TikTok or Instagram, Snapchat are so much newer, we don't even have a, a long time frame to create, you know, to have a study that you can say is really reliable in the data that it generates. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's what I'm, I'm fascinated by just how new all of this is and how could there be a study? You know, it'd be interesting in 20 years when they look at this, but this is only in reality, only a few years old. So. And like right. you said before, you can get a study for anything if you really wanted to. It's how, how valid is it? Right. You know, and there's certain criteria. So we've certainly seen correlations between screen time, um, you know, screen time and mood. Uh, we've seen correlations between screen time and obesity. Causation, however, you know, there's a big argument um, related to causation. So, you know, we wonder, uh, is it that lonelier people now turn to social media, let's just say, to, uh, you know, to fill, fill the lonely time that they have? Uh, are they turning to social media to fill that time? Or are they, um, or is filling your time by looking at social media 
and I, I, I hate like lumping all social media together mm -hmm. like that uh, because actually, you know, we're engaging when this goes up on YouTube, that's social mm -hmm. media. Mm -hmm. So, you know, or, or is the actual use of it what's causing the problem? Mm -hmm. Very and, complicated <laughs> issue. <laughs> I guess is it's a little bit of both. And so I, I like to really think in terms of, so what would be healthy use versus unhealthy use? Mm -hmm. If you're feeling lonely and isolated, you use social media to uh, try to figure out, explore your interests um, and then do something with those. Use it to now go out into the real world and connect with people in real time that you may have connected with you know, via screen, uh, via social media and get involved in something. Um, if you are using it as a panacea for your anxiety or depression and you don't do something about it, then that's not healthy use. Mm -hmm. So that comes back to the how we use it again. And, but we, you know, we're almost compelled to use it. I mean, it is the fabric of our society now. Yeah, and that's helpful to hear too. I think having some empathy about it. I know near all his dad tip was to be kind to yourself to not beat yourself up when you slip up and not say, I'm not doing a good job with this just to be mindful of it and try to get a little better about it each day. Right, exactly. I, I think that's, that's really important. And you know, I always come back to again, being critical thinkers about what what is, how is this making me feel? What needs is it meeting for me? Are there other ways that they can be met? What's the unintended consequence, you know, of the use? Um, you know, is it, is it positively impacting my life? And then of course, now I'm going to become a banker and say, so where, what's the point of diminishing returns? Mm -hmm. What's the return on, in, what's the return on investment here? Mm -hmm. I'm investing my time or I'm investing my dollars into something tech related what's the return i'm getting let's take a quick break for our dad tip of the week brought to you by kickstart reading do you have kids between the ages of three and six i've got two boys and when my older son was going into kindergarten my wife and i quickly learned that we had no idea how to teach him how to read we found kickstart reading and watched one two minute video together and you could see his confidence take off bonus i felt like dad of the year Here's another dad talking about how Kickstart Reading is helping his boys learn how to read. Hey there, this is Chris Heller, and I'm a big fan of Kickstart Reading. Each morning before school, I show a video to my four-and-a-half-year-old son, and now his little two-year-old brother is getting in on the action as well. I'm a big fan of the videos, highly consumable and engaging for young boys. Definite recommend for all parents out there who are looking to get their kids off to the right start with reading. Kickstart Reading. Go to kickstartreading.com and use the code DAD to get 65% off right now. That's D-A-D, -D, DAD. See? It works. Kickstartreading.com. Now back to the show. So Nadja, on the Dad the Best I Can show, we like to do a dad tip. I'm sure you've already given us plenty, but do you have one tip for other dads out there? Well, let's see. Dads out there. Um, so... People do like solutions, like they like some framework for solutions. So unlike other, uh, like unlike gambling and even video gaming, um, 
other substances, you can lead a, a healthy and functional life without engaging in those, but you have to, have to use technology. I think that's indisputable now. So that makes it a little bit more like food. So I started thinking about as an overarching principle so we can stay in front of the next app and the next um, you know, device, uh, tech like you eat. So apply portion control. Like we know not to eat, we eat a slice of cake. We don't eat or you know, two or three cookies, not the whole box, not the whole cake. Uh, we try to balance out nutritive and non-nutritive use. So watching TikTok or Twitch for hours is not the same as learning a language online. Um, if you eat all day, it causes unnecessary weight gain. And you know, tech all day is gonna cause unnecessary strain and pain. Um, we generally try not to eat in bed because it disrupts sleep. So most, you can look at most tech in the same way. Don't tech in bed for the same reasons. Um, I won't get into how that affects adults but, and love relationships, but it really does. Um, if, you know, when one really important thing that I think about is if you eat something that consistently gives you a stomach ache, eventually you learn not to eat that. So if, if something is making you unhappy when you watch it or you play it um, or you follow it, stop. Like treat it like something that gives you an upset stomach. Treat your emotional well-being in the same way that you would treat your physical well-being and, you know, unfollow, block, mute. Uh, think about curating you know, your use so that it's informational, educational, inspirational, um, lightens your mood a little bit. And, you know, like, so like, so like a healthy meal would. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a really good analogy. And that is something we're trying to do, whereas they'll come home and want to play their games. And it's okay, you've got to do your homework, and then read a book for 15 minutes if you want to play for 30 minutes and maybe have that at the end of it. So there is some vegetables with the junk food that they want to eat. Right. I, and I think if you explain to kids and, you know, and have the family conversation, like really equating it in many ways to food and that's, it's a, it's an oversimplification, but as a parent trying to explain this to, you know, a 10 year old, a seven year old, a five year old, like they understand that you're not going to let them eat a whole tub of ice cream. They, they do get that. Uh, so, you know, that's because the kids need really concrete examples to understand um, the concepts here of boundaries and balance and, you know, why you don't do certain things. Yes. Uh, so I, I, that's my tip. And then I have one other really, really important dad tip. Please. Uh, talk to your kids, both, both, both sons and daughters about uh, porn, internet porn, like internet porn and, you know, magazine porn are vastly, vastly different. Um, porn should not be how your kids get their sex education and people need to, uh, kids need to know that porn is extraordinarily addictive and um, when you become addicted to something that is 
tied to uh, a biological and primal imperative, like to procreate, that really hijacks your brain and is extraordinarily difficult to disentangle. So, you know, a lot of people don't want to talk about sex with their kids. And I, I urge in, in a time when internet porn is so readily available, you have to figure out a way to get over that. What is that conversation? This could be a whole other episode, but in yeah. a, in a, in a short, short cliff notes, how do you introduce that conversation? You're just saying that's not realistic or this is very addictive. So be careful. I mean, like you said, it's a very, you know, compressed, overstimulating thing. That is a biological imperative. Right. Right. Um, so how do you, how do you talk to your kids about that? Well, first I think explain sex to them outside. I mean, don't make them have to look at porn to want to get their questions about sex answered. Mm -hmm. Like that's the starting point. So however anybody would have explained sex to their children in the past, um, and you know, there are tons of books that you can read about that. So pre-internet porn, do that. Like, I, like literally just do it. Uh, that's the first step. So by not making that have to be the way they get their education. Now, depending on the age of your child, you know, the conversations can get a little more graphic and, and parents get uncomfortable and the kids get uncomfortable. But sometimes you know, you've got to, you, by opening this conversation that you, the parent, are available for this discussion and you understand it and sex is not something that, you know, you need to feel dirty or ashamed uh, that you want to know more about, then you open the opportunity for continued conversation and you've got to use your you know your judgment as a parent as to what the threshold is for too much information um and and when to start doling out more information so what you're going to say to a 10 year old and 10 year olds have a lot of access to internet porn you may not have given them sex education in the past at that age but you have to start to have that conversation begin at an earlier age is going to be different from what you say to your 15 year old or you know for those who are dealing with this now to their 18 year old mm -hmm. so be willing to get uncomfortable i think that's the first step and maybe we were our parents weren't necessarily like that so maybe that's where it all stems from too so we've got to break the mold and have that first conversation absolutely and the sooner you do it and the sooner you normalize it as a conversation and that, that it's something that, you know, it like that's really the elephant in the room. Mm -hmm. So as soon as you normalize it as a conversation, that really becomes, um, you know, that's the, that's the first step to getting a handle on the problem. And at some point, you know, you can explain and should or, and are compelled to explain, you know, it's, it's, it's boys who are struggling with this, like the incidence of erectile dysfunction in this country in the you know uh, men in their 20s is off the charts. Like urologists are just, as they say, making bank <laughs> on that age group. Because of porn? Yep. Wow. Yep. Incredible. Well, give me a couple of years till my kids hit 10 and then we'll have you back on to, to explain how we can have these conversations because this is another topic that I'm sure nobody likes to talk about but is more important than ever. Oh, extraordinarily. Like lo the long-term implications are extraordinary. Mm -hmm. 
Well, so, adults, yes. adults could probably benefit from hearing it too. So it's interesting. These things that we're t teaching our kids, we're learning from too. Right. Which is, you know, we, and you can look and say, well, that's kind of great. Like let's all, and, and again, no, don't shame your children. Like this is all of us mm -hmm. happening to all of us simultaneously. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we're, we're, let's, let's treat ourselves as a family as all in it together and, um, try to learn together. Yeah. what works that's what I, I learn every day we, we don't know as much as we think and you have to keep learning so this is a good way to you know learn with your kids absolutely so Nadja tell people more about where they can find what you're up to well uh let's see I don't have my own website but you can find me uh, I have an Instagram handle um eyes up underscore with underscore Nadja N-A-D-J-A um, my email address, Nadja.Strider at Gmail. Um, you can find me on the Game Quitters website also. Um, I think those are probably the, the primary places to, to catch me if you want to reach me. Give a quick, uh, we didn't talk about Game Quitters. Give a quick recap of what they do. So Game Quitters started off really as a support community, and it's um, one of the largest support communities for people who are struggling with problematic gaming. Um, over time, it's evolved from uh, purely a support com community to also providing education, and we have programming. So we've got a parent program called Reclaim, which I co-authored with Cam Adair. Cam's the founder of Game Quitters. And you know, Reclaim is, uh, it's four modules, 40 lessons on how to reclaim your uh, gamer. And, you know, a problematic, excessive user, uh, video game addicted, you know, lots of, lots of ways to look at that, but to reclaim them. And the, the parenting tools, uh, the parenting tools that are in there, I think are really, really strong and good. And you can generalize them to all kinds of issues that you face as a parent. You know, typically if you're in that situation, some of these things like understanding boundaries, um, creating effective consequences, parenting style, uh, love language, like those are all things that you've probably struggled with in the past. And you know, we try to get you to understand so that you can create an effective, uh, realistic, and sustainable plan to reclaim your gamer from gaming being their sole or primary uh, interest and activity. Cool. So that's gamequitters.com. We will uh, check that out. How do you learn about all these games? Do you have to go play them? They're changing so quick. It seems like you know, you know all the ins and outs of the new games. Yeah, I mean, I have to know a lot. Um, I mean, obviously, I read an enormous amount. I, I last night I said to my son that I wish I had a, um, uh, you know, so, somebody to sponsor me so I could spend all my time, you know, really keeping up to date. But you know, they're they're general themes, mm -hmm. and you know, it's more about understanding trends. So if there's an a one new game, but it falls under the category of, you know, first person shooter or, you know, strategy, most, mostly the same principles apply. So I, I don't have to know all the new games. I do need to understand the evolution of, of gaming, just like in terms of it's now beginning to look more like gambling. 
um, you know, even sports games like uh, NBA, the newest NBA game, like you're in a casino. Mm-hmm. So that I do have to know about. Um, I have to understand how Discord has changed from being, you know, purely something way that you gamed with your friends to now its own form of social media. Those are trends that I really do have to stay on top of, mm-hmm. but I don't have to play the games. I'm terrible at games. <laughs> awesome. my, like, I'm a disaster at Mario Kart. <laughs> well, yeah, my kids are already beating me. Now, Joe, thank you so much for being on the Dad the Best I Can podcast. I uh, look forward to uh, talking to you soon and reading more about Game Quitters. Great. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed our conversation and I hope it was helpful to your audience. Thank you guys for listening to the Dad the Best I Can show. Go take five seconds, hop on over to dadthebestican.com and sign up with your email to get weekly updates, dad tips in your mailbox, get your questions answered on the show. That's dadthebestican.com. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe and leave us a five-star rating on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. Actually, five stars. We could do better than that. Brooks? Infinity. Infinity stars. Cameron, how many stars? Infinity thousand. Infinity thousand. You got to one-up them in this household. Thanks. See you.